From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father John Tregilio is in the house. He uh, is ready to take your phone call, so pick up the phone and give us a jingle at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky. And Jeff Burson, magnificent person, back from Italia, is uh, taking care of our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Monday, fellow Sicilian, Father John Trujillo. How are you? Molto bene. Yeah, he was visiting your uh, visiting your uh, your homeland there. He was. Oh. They were in. He and his lovely wife Lisa were in Sicily for a bit of time in southern, uh, southwestern Sicily. There's a little village there that has a big uh, uh, festival that was going on, and it was quite a sight to behold in photographs. That's for certain. Oh, I want to go now. <laughs> Did you go to Sicily on your most recent trip? or No, we were just Rome, Assisi, Orvieto, and Siena. Boy, he said with such disappointment in his voice. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Got an email here from Karen in Ohio, and she says, A priest mentioned in his sermon the other day that Mary Magdalene, the woman who dried the feet of Jesus with her hair, was also the sister of Lazarus. Really? How did I miss that? Could you explain? <laughs> well, it's, it was uh, said as much in the gospel we, he- we heard on Sunday um, about the death of Lazarus because um, Mary's referred to as the one who uh, wiped the feet of Jesus and, and washed her with her tears. So it's from that gospel. Now, uh, one of the popes, I think it was a Gregory, um, sort of made this uh, connection with um Mary Magdalene, Mary the, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, uh, the woman caught in adultery. Um, there's no evidence on either end to prove or disprove that, but we certainly know that Martha and Mary are the names of the sisters of Lazarus. And as it said, and as it said in the gospel this Sunday, that Mary certainly wept at the feet of Jesus and dried it with her hair. There could have been two Marys. There could have been three Marys. Um, so I've seen biblical arguments for all of the above. But, Miriam, uh, not exactly an uncommon name in that time no, and place, huh? No, because even at the foot of the cross, it has Mary and and uh, her sister, and Mary, the wife of Clopas. Well, 
the problem is that Mary wouldn't have a sister named Mary. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the comma can be you know a, a, another person. <laughs> Very good. Eight three three two eight eight EWTN is our toll free number. Unless there, unless George Foreman was alive back then. <laughs> I mean, yeah, George and George and George. George and George. Um, 833-288-EWTN. David writes in, how does the Catholic Church view baptism from Southern Baptists if the minister does not intend the same thing by baptism as the Catholic Church, for instance, the removal of original sin? Well, the Holy See had, had the, decided upon that, that the only baptism that we um, would consider null and void and valid was the baptism of the the Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, because it's more than just not believing in original sin, but it's also this um, non-Trinitarian idea. Uh, it's almost like there's three separate gods. But with the Southern Baptists, although they may not have uh, the, the doctrine of original sin and that baptism washes that away, uh, nevertheless, it, it is water. They're invoking the Holy Trinity. And so uh, anyone who is baptized... Uh, in the Southern Baptist Church, that would be a valid baptism. And here's here's a loaded one for you, Father. Uh, Luna would like to know: Do you think the Germans will succeed at the upcoming synod in making same-sex blessing universal throughout the church? No, <laughs> no, because they're out on the limb there by themselves, and uh, with a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, uh, th- yeah, they're, and it's not unanimous uh, in Germany either. But even if it were, and it, first of all, it's not going to be contagious. Uh, it goes against Catholic uh, doctrine and discipline, and uh, they don't have the authority to do that. Uh, you know, this is not an ecumenical council that's been convened by the Holy Father and articles that would be uh, signed by him. Uh, it's not an ex-Cathedra uh, papal pronouncement. So uh, this collegiality, in a minor sense, or the synodality, uh, it's a nice uh, gesture, but in terms of magisterial teaching weight, uh, it just doesn't it doesn't have it. Uh, Aaron would like to know. <laughs> Aaron's got a friend that needs some help here. My Protestant friend says the Eucharist is just a symbol because it doesn't do anything to the person. How should I respond? <laughs> well, it does do something to the person. It nourishes their soul, and you know Jesus says very very explicitly uh, in John's gospel about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. He says it several times. You must eat my flesh. You must drink my blood. Uh, he, he, when you read the Greek, it's even more graphic. Uh, he goes from the word eat to devour, munch, chew. Um, and then he says at the Last Supper, this is my body. This is my blood. Uh, so first of all, we believe that it is what Jesus says it is. And he says, you know, his his uh, flesh is real food, his blood is real drink. Well, drink, uh, food sustains and nourishes. Physical food nourishes the body. Uh, the body and blood of Christ nourishes the soul. You know, as our, as our friend Father Larry Richards in the Diocese of Erie likes to say, if you sat in a room with enriched uranium for 10 minutes, when you walked out, you might not feel any better, but I promise you, you're not the same. The same thing's true <laughs> yeah. with the with the Eucharist. If you spend time in adoration with our Lord, you may not feel any different, but you have been changed. Oh yeah, because you're you're in close proximity to holiness itself. 
Very good. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still a couple of open lines for you and plenty of time for your calls on a Monday edition of Open Line. Lana asks, did Mary ever receive the Eucharist? Uh, we don't know what happened after the Jesus ascended into heaven. Certainly, uh, she was there in the upper room at Pentecost, and she was under the care of John, the beloved disciple. Uh, I would presume that, well, because they, the apostles did what Jesus commanded them to do, do this in memory of me, so the, what was first called the breaking of the bread, then later uh, the Holy Eucharist, that we now call the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, I certainly believe that Our Lady did receive uh, Holy Communion because she would have been there. It would have sort of been peculiar, if not odd, had she, you know, if the Mass was available and she didn't go because that's her son. And uh, here's an interesting question from Brent. He wants to know, does Catholic doctrine encourage or discourage any political or economic systems? Well, we certainly condemn think, uh, systems that are uh, totally unjust and intrinsically evil. So certainly like communism, which forcefully takes over personal property and sort of deifies the, the state, it, it uh, promotes uh, atheism, uh, socialism, if left uh, untended, would, would certainly be dangerous. Capitalism, uh, we don't uh, promote as the only system, but it seems the most fair right now. Um, certainly at one time we had uh, Christian monarchies uh, that the church uh, considered viable. So the there's heads not of which one. Which became great saints, some of them. Exactly. St. Louis, uh, for instance, of of France, uh, King Edward in, in uh, England, Casimir uh, in Poland. So you have instances where there are certain systems that will work uh, with um, church teaching, and then you have some systems that are antithetical to it. So communism is definitely out. Uh, socialism has has the proclivity to become bad because it's built on some wrong premises. Um, certainly this idea that individuals are not responsible for their own um, property and destiny. And yet, unbridled consumerism is uh, the worst deviation of capitalism, and both John Paul and others have condemned that. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line, Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, we remember our foundress, Mother Angelica, in a special way today. This is the seventh anniversary of her entering into her eternal reward. And uh, at a religious catalog, which she started, we've got a beautiful uh, Mother Angelica framed portrait. It's 10 inches by 12 inches. And you can help celebrate the life and legacy of Mother Angelica of the Annunciation. 
Um, this beautiful 8x10 portrait of our beloved foundress is, uh, has a statue of uh, El Divino Nino behind her, and it will remind you of the great things Mother accomplished through the Holy Spirit, but what we too can achieve with radical trust in God as she always encouraged us. It's displayed under glass in a natural tiger cherry finished frame with carved gold edges. It's really beautiful, and it has a hook for hanging and a black velvet easel for tabletop display as well. Overall, the entire thing is 10 inches, as I said earlier, by 12 inches, and it's available now at EWTN's religious catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Uh, they're offering, if I can turn the page, I'm sure, I'm sure that they're offering free standard shipping. They are. In the continental U.S. only. Use the code free at checkout. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. First up today is Bernadette in Mallard, Iowa, listening on Siouxland Catholic Radio. Bernadette, thanks so much for holding. You're on with Father John. Good afternoon, Father John. Thanks for taking my call. I uh, We have just, as a family, just started saying the prayer for the poor souls, uh, may the souls of the faith departed, so on, after meals. And... Someone had brought up to me that maybe we were, we were supposed to be saying the whole prayer to get the indulgence, starting with eternal rest granted to them, O Lord, to get the indulgence for the poor souls. So that was, we were like, after all this time, we better make sure we were saying the right prayer. Uh, yes, uh, I would uh, double-check the Incaridian Indulgensarium, which is the official book from the Church, from the Holy See, that lists all the indulgences and the prayers and acts that are attached to it. Uh, it was formerly called the Recolta, and there's some prayers in there that um, you can still say, but the actual assignment of a particular indulgence, we no longer make the various different uh, designations of uh, quarantines and 300 days or whatever. There's basically just two types of indulgence, uh, a plenary indulgence, which is a full remission of temporal punishment due to sin, and a partial indulgence, which occurs if a person is not completely detached from um, all venial sins. You have to obviously also be in the state of grace and fulfill the, the requirements. So uh, I just can't tell you offhand if um, that whole prayer, how much of it has to be said, but uh even if you're saying a part of it, there's going to be a benefit. But to make sure, you know, you, you, you're doing exactly uh, what is required, I would look that up. And you can get that online. I know it's in the EWTN uh, electronic library. You can also get a copy of it. It's called the Incaridian Indulgenciarum. It's the Incaridian of Indulgences. And there's um, that's the latest one that's out, and that would be your best uh, resource. Is that good, Bernadette? Okay, fine. Thanks very much. I appreciate it, Father. God bless you guys. Thank you. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Jody is in the great state of Connecticut listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jody, you're on with Father John Trujillo. Yeah, hi, Father John. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my question is around adoration. Um kind of a two-pronged question. The first one is, I'm part of a seven-sister apostolate, that's what it's called, and one day a week, each of us take an hour and we pray for the priest, and um, I was wondering if you could recommend some prayers, I mean, the obvious, rosary, chaplet, uh, stations of the cross, but what do you recommend um, 
would be the best thing to do while I'm in adoration when it comes to for the priest. And then the second thing is when I'm in adoration, just to make reparation and visit Jesus and spend time with him, what do you recommend that I do? Because sometimes I find that if I'm silent, and my mind will just wander, and then I feel like I'm you know, not getting the benefits of being there. Or So I'm just looking for some direction on what I should and shouldn't be doing when I'm there. Okay, and that's a good question because seminarians ask us the same thing here because <laughs> we ask them to make a holy hour every day. And, uh, you know, not only when you first start out, even I've been ordained 35 years now uh, this coming May, um, you know, that's always in one of the things you look at is what am I doing during my holy hour? Um, I suggest, and so do many, many uh, priests and uh, spiritual directors and so forth um, recommend is divide your holy hour into, you know, maybe four parts, 15 minutes each. One part, you pray the rosary. You can also pray the Vi Mercy Chaplet. You can pray um, the Chaplet of Our Seven Sorrows. Um, but something like that, that is very standard, easy to do, to sort of start off the holy hour. And then you could do like a, a different litany, litany of Loretto. You could do the litany of humility. There's so many wonderful litanies that, that are available, so I would certainly recommend that. You want to do some Lexio Divina, where you read sacred scripture and you meditate on the text itself. You could use some Ignatian strategies, like imagining you're there, you're reading the gospel, say, we just had on Sunday of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Well, imagine you're there when this thing is happening. You're not Martha or Mary or Lazarus, but you're a bystander. What do you, I mean, if you were going to make a movie, how would you portray the scene, so to speak, so it gets you into that? Um, and you also want some quiet time where you just think about Jesus and that you just enjoy his presence in the same way that you would be with a friend or family member. You don't have to do all the talking. And even if your mind wanders a little bit, that happens sometimes when, you know, you're visiting somebody. Uh, when I was hospital chaplain, you know, or when I would go home to visit my dad when he was having one of his blood transfusions, we weren't always uh, uh, talking, but just sitting there, spending time with each other, and sometimes your mind wanders. It happens. Sometimes you fall asleep. <laughs> um, James and John and, and, and Peter fell asleep. Uh, Fulton Sheen said that happens now and then. Benedict Rochelle. Uh, it's just something you don't want to count on, but uh, if you divide your holy hour into those four parts, uh, use some very standard... Um, already vocal prayers, written prayers in the beginning, and then you want to build up to um, meditation, and then hopefully you're open to the possibility of contemplation. That only happens when God decides it, but certainly meditation is in our purview, as well as vocal and mental prayer. Does that help you, Jody? Yeah, yeah it's very helpful. Now, what about when it comes to the priest in particular that I'm offering the hour for? There, would you do anything differently there, or I would just say start off. You know, maybe when you're if you're going to start off with the rosary, say I'm going to offer up this holy hour for this particular priest, and then just you know um, you, don't, you don't have to necessarily mention his name more than than once, but sometimes it helps if at least four times during that holy hour you mention him in your heart by name. Uh, maybe pray for his family, um, pray for his health. Um, you know, so that and pray that he become a better priest. Uh, certainly, by making it very personal, uh, it is going to be very beneficial to you and to him.
Are you still in charge of the confraternity for priests? The confraternity Catholic clergy, yes. yes. I'm, the, I'm the president of that. And uh, we certainly w encourage and want people to pray for us individually, but also uh, corporately, um, because priests, we need prayers. And, you know, a lot of times if priests don't have people praying for them, you know, we get enough trouble as is on our own, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but our prayers alone aren't enough. We need, we need because, uh, you know, Jesus said that they may be one, ut unum sent. Uh, the only way that we can be one, united with Christ, is that the people that we serve pray for us. God bless you, Jody. We appreciate the phone call today. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. John is a first-time caller in Indianapolis, Indiana, listening on Catholic Radio Indy. John, you're on with Father John Tregilio. How you doing, Father John? Okay. Got a question for you. When Jesus was talking to the crowd, he told the people, you would not perish. You would not taste death until you see me coming in the clouds. Now, if 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 he was talking uh to the people then who was in front of him, or was he talking to the people in the future? Because if he was talking to the people who was in front of him, that means the rapture already happened, right? Well, that, that that's, uh, that's a good question. Um, we don't have a, a definitive definition on what exactly that question, how it was posed. We certainly believe that... Um, Jesus was speaking not just to that particular audience, but to all of us. And, you know, there are many times in the words of Christ, he's speaking metaphorically. He's also using figurative language. He's speaking about prophecy, things that are going to happen in the future. Um, certainly, you know, he, he talks about, you know, the, they won't taste death. Um, the rapture itself, uh, the way it's portrayed by some people, uh, we have no definitive one way of thinking of how that's going to take place, even if it is going to take place in that way. The word rapture appears in Scripture, but only in referring to uh, when Jesus gives the parable, you know, there'll be two guys sleeping, one is taken, one's left behind. The, the, the Hollywood and the way it's portrayed in some books that this is a big event, uh, that's relatively new to Christianity. Martin Luther Calvin, Zwingli, Huss, all the Protestant reformers, certainly Thomas Aquinas, St. Bonaventure, Augustine, and the others, never even considered that being an event, uh, just that that was a, a word that was in the scripture. So today, a lot of Christians are saying, when's the rapture going to take place? Well, it, it may take place, it may not, because it's not defined as one particular event as it was in someone who wrote some books and uh, made some movies about it. But certainly, that's not to say that it, it can't happen. So we want to um, not limit the, the power of Scripture into just one interpretation. Thanks so much, John. We appreciate the call today. Quickly, uh, EJ is watching us on YouTube, Father, and he wants to know if he's consecrated himself to the Blessed Virgin Mary, can he count on her to know when he's done something that could earn an indulgence for the holy souls? Uh, you can always hope, but you're not going to have any like absolute 
metaphysical certitude, certainly, um, you know, entrusting ourselves to Our Lady and uh, to the direction of the Holy Spirit is good, but whether or not you're going to have a definitive revelation, I, I don't think so. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Abe in Amarillo, Texas, Wilma in Nova Scotia, and we want to talk to you as well. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-3986. As advertised, Abe is a first-time caller in Amarillo, Texas, listening on St. Valentine Radio. Abe, you are on with Father Trujillo. Thank you, Father, for my... Uh, ask, I want to ask a question. I'm uh, a Catholic, and I will always pray for my family and my family that, that are deceased and the welfare of my living family. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you decide to watch a football game, for example, and don't go to Mass. You commit a mortal sin. So when you pray for those people that you pray for when you're in the state of grace, do, do you pray for them when you're in, you know that you're in a state of mortal sin? Does, does that count, or does it make any difference? Or should you even do that? Well, it's, it's always good to pray for others and for yourself. And if you're in the state of mortal sin, it won't be efficacious for you until you go to confession. But uh, it's not a waste of time. Um, you know, I, I hesitate in making a, a, an analogy because it could always, you know, fall flat. But if you imagine that it's like, you know, you put something on uh, layaway, so to speak, uh, and then after a time it becomes yours. If you pray for someone, uh, certainly God's going to listen to prayer. But in terms of your benefit, uh, you'll get all the benefit that could have been possible once you get to the sacraments, once you get to the confession, and get yourself back in the state of grace. The only problem is, you know, you don't want to wait too long because you could die before that. As the nuns used to tell us in grade school, you know, you could be crossing the street and a truck will run you over. Make sure you're always uh, in the state of grace. God bless you, Abe. We'll keep you in our prayers. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Have you ever been to the Maritime Provinces, Father? No. Neither have I. Here it is absolutely spectacularly beautiful. Wilma is in Nova Scotia calling mm. us and listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Wilma, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. Hi. I have a question about cremation. Mm-hmm. Or cremation remains. Um, my mother-in-law passed away, and, and that was in 2004. And at that time... Um, there was some um, information going around that you could uh, keep back some of the ashes to put into a pendant or a, a little vial or whatever that you could wear. And in my wisdom, which wasn't so wise, I asked the, um, the gentleman that was taking care of that if he could give me just a, a little bit. Um, and, of course, Shortly afterwards, I realized that 
no, like that's not the right thing to do. So she had already been buried, mm-hmm. and my thinking was, I will take them to the graveyard and sprinkle it on her grave um, because I couldn't dig up her ashes and put the little bit back in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure if I did the right thing or by doing, by putting them on her grave. I know I didn't do the right thing by requesting a, mm-hmm. a little bit. Well, um it, what's done is done, and, and you know, you, you, you acted what you thought at the time was in good faith. But uh, what we would, if someone were to say to me before they did such a thing, I would say what the church wants us to do is after someone's been cremated, that their ashes be buried intact. And even though you have like a little ampule or vial of, of her, uh, I would, it would be better if you had buried that even if you just dug up a little bit of the ground on her grave um, and then put it in there, it doesn't have to be that deep, uh, but it buried the whole vial as opposed to sprinkling. But you did it. You had no bad intention. Uh, you're not guilty of any sin or sacrilege or desecration in that regard. So, uh, you know, I don't think you need to go to confession at all. You're, you're, you, you did what you thought was okay. But in the future, if anyone's listening are watching this, I would say it's much better that you follow what the church asks of us to do, that we bury intact, or even at sea, but it has to be in, in, the, in a container. So uh, either all at once, which was the best way, or if you find out that, you know, sometimes people divvy up the, the deceased cremines among the, le- the relatives, and I've heard that bizarre story where, you know, each person gets uh, a few ounces of them, and then they do with it as they will. Um, it's much better that, you know, either buried completely together or individually in hallowed ground, but not uh, sprinkled. But again, I don't want you to think that, you know, you've got this uh, over your head, um, you know, you acted in good faith. But uh, yes, in the future, I, I would not advise ever sprinkling uh, unless, you know, the, the only... You know, the only thing that would, if, if you were in a mausoleum, and you know, obviously you can't get in there, but even there, at a cemetery, you can still bury in some place, um, hallowed ground, um, a little hole or something like that. Uh, or talk to your parish priest. There may be some place, you know, a Catholic cemetery that will, you know, allow some place for such things. Does that give you some peace, Wilma? Well, I I hope so. Um, I, I, I pray that it does. Yeah, I th- don't worry. You have nothing to worry about. You're not guilty of anything wrong. You didn't know at the time, so don't, don't let that disturb you, okay? You're, you're, you're all right with God and, and the church. I'm just saying in the future, if anyone's listening, that, that's not the preferred way. God bless you, Wilma. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. Give us a call. Jim is in Lithia Springs, Georgia, listening to us on the Quest. Jim, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Father John, good afternoon. I'm teaching a confirmation class. One of the guys wants to choose Saint Michael the Archangel as his patron saint. Somebody else says he's not a person saint 
He's an archangel. <laughs> well, What's the real answer, and where can I find it? In the catechism? Well, uh, he's not a human person, but he is he is a person. He's an angelic person, and guess what? We have we have we have churches named after Saint Michael. We have churches named after Saint Raphael and Saint Gabriel. So you can name a church after them. Uh, we have angels as patron saints of um, countries and places. Uh, I was at Saint Michael's Cave where uh, Padre Pio would say mass. So yes, you can use because. We use the word saint for a reason, you know, that the angels in heaven, uh, we can give that title to, as well as human beings are in heaven. So, you know, it's not improper or irregular. It's not forbidden uh, to take one of the angelic names. But we only have three angelic names, Michael, Raphael, Gabriel. Those other names that are floating around in there, Uriel and all those other ones, Raguel, uh, those are from uh, apocryphal scriptures that are not in the uh in the bible and we advise people not to use them but you can take michael as uh your first name your middle name your confirmation name no problem 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number a couple of open lines for you and still time for your calls at 833-288-3986 nancy wants to know what an interlocution is an interlocution. Um, well, uh, it's a, a message that one gets when when you are uh, in prayer. Um, you know, it's not hearing of a particular voice. Uh, it's receiving uh, either an intuition, a, a, a message that you discern, uh, but you're not hearing something with your ears. Okay, it's uh, Mary uh, or Jesus uh, speaking to you. And uh, it's it's very subtle, and you know one of the problems is that you know to verify it or to be able to discern is this of God or somewhere else or is it something more natural? That's one of the problems. So you have to test it by uh, through prayer and speaking to your confessor. Eight three three two eight eight EWTN is our toll free number. We head next to the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Matt is a first time caller listening on Savior Radio. Matt, you're on with Father John. Hello, Father John. I appreciate you taking my question, Dave. My question is, lost her grandbaby without being baptized. What's the status of that little little fella's destiny? Okay, well, we this catechism makes it clear we commend them to the mercy of God. We firmly believe that God is going to be merciful and loving, and um, we have what we believe, three types of baptism, the sacramental baptism of water and the invocation of the Trinity. We also have um, baptism of blood when someone dies for the faith but hasn't yet been baptized, and a baptism of desire. So if the desire of the mom and dad uh, that the child would have been baptized, um, you know, we believe that that would also apply because there's the universal salvific will of God, and St. Augustine talks about the fact that God gives everyone uh, sufficient grace to be saved, so we believe that there is a possibility of someone being baptized who through no fault of their own uh, died before receiving sacramental baptism. That's not saying that we're, we believe everybody automatically de facto uh, goes to heaven because obviously some people could choose not to. But we don't believe that God's going to punish someone who is not their fault. 
Um, the, the word limbo is not in the, in the catechism. It was uh, a, a theological uh, theory that was uh, used uh, prior to uh, the catechism. Uh, it's not been condemned, but it's not been endorsed. Uh, so we can use this more fluid idea that, you know, the, the baby we commend to God's mercy, and I believe in my heart that uh, these children do go to God. They're, they're part of his uh, plan. Uh, next up is Carmela. She's in Putnam County, New York, listening on the EWTN app. Carmela, you're on with Father John Trujillo. Hi, Jack. Hi, Father John. Hello. Hi. Um, my question is on transference of spirits. I, d- I got a phone call from a friend of mine, and she sent me an article that appeared on uh, Spirit daily.com and it talks all about how evil spirits can be transferred to us but it wasn't very clear i mean it speaks about somebody touching you it could be done over the phone so i said to my friend i might as well just stay in my bedroom with a (laughs) bottle of holy water and go nowhere yeah and i did some research but i can't find anything from a Catholic perspective on that. Yeah, I would be very, very cautious about endorsing that. Um, certainly, there's things that are beyond our comprehension, uh, the dark forces of the, of the world, uh, the diabolic, and that they're certainly real, they're, they're uh, present. Um, but I don't think that it's like a, um, a virus or a pandemic where you could just accidentally be infected. Um, we had an expert here uh, from, for uh, a couple of years teaching here at the seminary, uh, Father Dennis McManus. Uh, he, he's an expert in these matters. And, you know, he says what's dangerous is when people open the door to the occult by Ouija boards and tarot cards and uh, palm reading and, and summoning the dead and seances and that. But for, you, for things to happen incidentally and accidentally, uh, you know, that's less we, we think it's less likely and probable. Certainly, someone can theoretically be possessed or obsessed uh, through no fault of their own, but in many cases, something's happened to sort of instigate this. Uh, so it's not by someone touching you or calling you or tweeting you or, you know, sending you an evil email, and if you read it, because that's Hollywood, you know, um, looking in the mirror and saying someone's name three times or, you know, a Beetlejuice, something like that. Uh, it doesn't happen that way. Uh, evil is not so powerful that it's just, you know, like radioactivity. But it is something that, you know, we have to um, be concerned and wary of. But good is much, much more powerful. And it's something that you don't want to, because conf- that's what the devil wants. He wants you either to not believe he exists or to over-exaggerate his power. And remember, he was conquered by Jesus Christ. He's inferior. He's a creature. Jesus is part of the Holy Trinity, uh, the one true God. Uh, God bless you. We appreciate the phone call today there, Carmela. 833-288-EWTN. It's Monday night. That means John Mark Grodi and the journey home. Tonight, John Mark talks to Father Stephen Hilgendorf, who shares his path from the Anglican priesthood to the Catholic priesthood through the personal Anglican ordinariate. 
That's The Journey Home with John Mark Rodi tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Mary is up next, a first-time caller in Newport, Ritchie, Florida, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Mary, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. Um, I, I I listened to this show on the way home from work. I work for my parish, and... Um, I decided today I was going to stop in and visit with my son for a minute, and he's at a cemetery. Um, and when I got back in the car, I heard something about your one of your previous callers about a, a burying a loved one. And my question is, um, the cemetery where my baby's at is not a Catholic cemetery. Um, does that matter? No, that's fine. That's there's no problem with that. Uh, long, long time ago, when you know the people first came to the United States as immigrants, um, there was a standard rule that diocese made that you had to be buried in a Catholic cemetery. But that's no longer the case because I, as a priest, I've gone to secular or cemeteries run by other faiths. Um, you can buy those plots. You can use them because at the burial itself, the priest blesses the grave. So that's already taken care of. It's part of the, the ritual. So you have nothing to fear or worry about. Um, you know, And people who were buried in non-Catholic uh, cemeteries are, have nothing to fear because um, you know that's why we have the practice of on All Souls Day uh, going and blessing all the graves, uh, you know, either in the parish or whatever. So, yes, um, it's not... It, again, it was more for the, the fact that we wanted Catholics... Uh, to feel comfortable being together, but uh, you know, I like for instance the the uh, Arlington National Cemetery. That's not a Catholic cemetery, but I know a lot of devout Catholics who are buried there because they served our country well, and and you know, it's appropriate for them to be there at any of these military uh, cemeteries. So you can be buried in any cemetery whatsoever. Um, the priest or the deacon will bless the grave at the time of burial. Is that good for you, Mary? Yes, thank you very much. I didn't know if maybe he was trying to tell me something by me catching that tail end of that. No, no, no. You you did you, you did nothing wrong. In fact, you know uh, he's praying for you now with the Lord. So yeah, count God, on that. God bless you, Mary. Eight three three two eight eight EWTN is our toll free number. We can still squeeze in your phone call at eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. We head next. To Louisiana, Darren is listening on Catholic Community Radio. Darren, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John. Hey, Father John. Uh, during the Holy Holy, what does it mean when we say Lord God of Hosts? Okay, uh, the hosts are the hosts of heaven, uh, basically the the angels and saints, but in a particular way, uh, the, the seraphim and cherubim, the highest ranks of angels, are are the 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 hosts. Um, you know, sometimes I had one lady ask me if that, if that meant the host we receive at Holy Communion. I said, uh, no, that's just using a word uh, interchangeably there. But uh, when we use the, the Holy, 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 uh, referring to the hosts of heaven, those are basically you know the angelic hosts who are constantly before the throne of God, praising him, worshiping him, morning, noon, and night. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. 
Um, Ronaldo writes in, if Mary was born sinless, would that affect her free will in agreeing to become the mother of the Son of God? No. It did not affect her free will any more than uh, Eve and Adam, when they were created, uh, they were created in the, in, in the state of grace. Uh, they were created without sin, and they freely chose to go bad, to say no. In the same way Lucifer and the one-third of the angels, you know, they were created good, and they decided to go bad. Uh, Mary, who was created good, she still had a free will. So she could have chosen the bad direction. She chose to go in the right direction. You know, I love when people read the scriptures in our present time and and just think about it from a practical standpoint. And James writes in, Did Jesus tell others he was tempted in the desert? How did the apostles and gospel writers know unless he told them? <laughs> well, that's true. He would have had to have told them. Uh, they, they would. There's no way anyone would have known other than Jesus telling them because nobody else was there. I, mean, I don't think the devil would have tipped them off. Um, so at some point, Jesus must have told uh, the disciples, and at some point, the Holy Spirit inspires the sacred authors uh, to write exactly what God wanted them to write. So we have two apostles as uh, evangelists. We also have two disciples. So they would have heard it sort of secondhand. Maybe they didn't hear directly from Jesus, but that doesn't discount the veracity of it. So we believe St. Luke got a lot of information from Our Lady. Um, I'm sure our Lord spoke to his mother and said, you know, this is what happened while I was out in the desert. <laughs> uh, Jasmine's watching us on YouTube, and she says, could you explain, or please elaborate, on the reasons why we cover the crucifixes and blessed statues during the Lenten season? Okay, uh, it is suggested, it's not absolutely mandatory, but it's a wonderful practice to do, especially this last week uh, of Lent, before we start the Holy Week and, and the Triduum. And the custom is basically meant to remind us that, you know, um, with the Passion of Christ, as we get closer to Passion Week or Holy Week, where we focus on our Lord's uh, suffering, uh, carrying the cross, his uh, dying on the cross, uh, we hide, sort of, so to speak, the, the saints, images of the saints, without removing them completely, uh, covering them over, just so that we have that poignant visual that if Jesus had not died, if he had not rose from the dead, then there would be nothing to look forward to. So when we look at the images of the saints, and we look at the crucifix, uh, we see, yes, this is our, our, our salvation. So we cover up just for that brief time uh, in the same way, I know this is a poor analogy, but when you put the Christmas nativity set out during Advent, we basically hide the baby Jesus, you know, because uh, we bring him out at Christmas Day. But uh, a lot of churches, you know, have some sort of little decorations out there. But the same token, too, we don't fully decorate until the uh, actual feast takes place. And the same with Easter, we want to really celebrate, and that's when all the statues are uncovered and uh, the Easter candle is out. So it's a liturgical practice. Uh, one that, you know, if, if someone doesn't do, it uh, doesn't mean that they're bad Catholics, but I, I like the practice. It's steeped in tradition. Uh, Dave wants to know, how do we explain the biblical flood in spite of the lack of scientific evidence? Well, the, I mean, I think the jury's still out on, on that because there are there is evidence that some 
uh, deluge took place, you know, whether it was the whole planet Earth or regions of it, we certainly have evidence when you look at the, when they, when the uh, geologists do, um, you know, their research and that, they see different levels. And certainly, you know, they tell us there was one time when all the continents were connected. So there, there's a lot of things that, you know, that science still is, is still looking at. I don't think there's any scientific empirical evidence to prove that the uh, universal flood did not take place. And what does it mean by universal flood? Um, you know, Scripture uses terminology that can be interpreted more than just one uh, narrow wave in the same way, you know, God created the world, uh, the, the six days of creation. Are they six days of 24 hours apiece? doesn't necessarily say that. It doesn't disprove it, but it doesn't affirm it as the only interpretation. Likewise, the flood that washed away all the evil people, maybe it was just, maybe humanity was only located in one, one particular region, you know. So uh, I'm not necessarily convinced that science has poo-pooed the whole idea of the flood. And very quickly in the last minute we have left here, Michelle called in from South Carolina watching us on YouTube and wants to know, if God recognizes baptisms from Protestants, does he accept marriages between two Protestants outside the Catholic Church? Yes, as long as they're both, this is their first marriage uh, as baptized Christians, and because we don't have jurisdiction over non-Catholic Christian weddings, they get married any way they want. They get married by JP. They get married by a Protestant minister, um, you know, city hall, captain of a ship. Catholics uh, and Orthodox Christians have to be married uh, by a priest or deacon. Uh, but two unmarried baptized Christians, we recognize uh, according to that. God bless you, Michelle. We appreciate the phone call today. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for holding on, or for, for tuning in, rather, to EWTN's Open Line Monday. Back at it tomorrow, talking faith, family, and fellowship with our very favorite Father of Mercy, Father Wade Menezes. Until we get together tomorrow, God bless.